welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. This morning we are starting a new sermon series. It is entitled Deep Water. Deep Water. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, I've got my water wings on. I'm ready to go, right? Give me... Come on, you at home, chicken wing, nobody's watching you, like you can get away with that and not even feel bad about it, right? Deep water, we're going to be talking about what, uh, what it looks like to live a spirit-filled life, uh, a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit and is having the, the Holy Spirit pouring out of, uh, a life that really has depth uh, and meaning and a deep vitality of life. To it. And so we're going to be spending the next five weeks uh, in this series, and I want to frame out our starting point um, with uh, really the access that you have and the invitation that you have to live life in this way. Uh, many of you guys know that I grew up in Southern California. All of my formative years was, was in Southern California, uh, not the beach, uh, but the desert. And uh, there was a number of different um, activities that people would go about doing in the desert, particularly with hiking and rock climbing. Uh, where I lived, we were uh, uh, inside of an hour from Joshua Tree National Park, so a, a world-renowned park for hiking and for uh, rock climbers and things along those lines. And every year, every year, we would have articles in our newspaper about hikers and climbers who had gotten lost or disoriented or had some other type of calamity befall them as they were out in uh, the, the national park or just out in the desert in general. And so every year, uh, people were, were lost, they were missing, there were groups that were going out and looking for them, uh, and some of those stories ended well, where people were found, and they were recovered, and they were brought back to health, and some of those uh, were met with uh, uh, peril and demise, and, and it didn't have really a happy ending. But what was interesting to me is there was uh, frequently the same problem, and then oftentimes uh, the same discovery in the process. Most people uh, who ended up lost or ended up in a place where they died in the desert, the initial, the initial cause was almost always dehydration. Uh, it was a lack of water in the system. They were dehydrated and they would kind of get a headache. And then what would come after that sometimes had to do with being disoriented. And so even somebody who was skilled, even somebody who knew where they were and had frequented a place that they had been many, many times could still find themselves in a place where they ended up disoriented and wandering off and getting lost simply because they had not had enough water. Um, because of the altitude, because of the dryness and the arid conditions, even in uh, relatively cool weather, this would still take place. Uh, and then oftentimes the story didn't end well. Somebody met uh, with, with uh, really just their demise in the desert. And here's the thing that I want to draw your attention to because this was something that was interesting. Very often, very often, those who succumbed to dehydration, whether they were found disoriented and they were able to be nursed kind of back to health, or whether they were found with their life already extinguished, very frequently when they were found, they still had water on their person. They still had canteens or backpack reservoirs or bottles of water. They still had water in reserve. But because they were either disoriented or because they were trying to preserve that last sip or that last bit, they actually met with their end of life 
with water of life on their person. And I draw your attention to that to, to, to just make this simple observation and suggest a spiritual observation for you and I. There is a difference between having access and drinking deeply. There's a difference between having access and drinking deeply. In the past year, the past year and a half, many of us have found ourselves in varying degrees of difficulty. I don't know how you would describe uh, that duration of time, but many people that I have had conversations with would describe it as kind of their own desert wandering. And whether that was something that started because of grief, uh, because of loss, because of a loss of a family member, or just kind of the, the change that was forced on them from outside situations, whether it was something that had to do with fear or anxiety or depression that was welling up as a result of that, or, or just general uncertainty or disappointment with how things were going, many people have found themselves in a place where they would describe where they are as kind of this desert wandering. The result is often conversations that have a sense of feeling empty or weary or dry. I just want you to think for a moment whether that applies to you this morning or the season that you've just endured or a place in your life that that would still hold true. Pastor, in this area of my life, I feel really dry. I feel weary. I feel, I've used language like this, that I feel threadbare, right? When you've got that favorite shirt that you've just worn almost about out, if you hold it up to the light, you can see through it and there's just like almost nothing holding it together. I felt that way in my person on occasion, have described it in that way. There is a thirst in us when we meet those type of desperate situations. And I just want to draw your attention to the fact that the thirst that you have is for life. It, not existing, not just enduring, not just kind of getting up in the morning and shuffling through a nine to five and just kind of existing. But the thirst that we have is for life, that our souls thirst for life, real life, uh, abundant life, the type of life that Jesus invites us to, the type of life that Jesus demonstrates is able to be lived, the, the type of life that would be his intention for you and I. And Jesus invites us to drink deeply of that life. And when he does that, the invitation is to drink deeply of the Spirit of God to drink deeply of the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I wanna invite you to go ahead and get those out. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, I wanna invite you to open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth in your word. Lord, some of us are dry, we're empty. We feel cracks in our person. Lord, we're in need of hope. And we need a refreshing of your spirit in our lives. Lord, help us to see the truth in your word, that it would cut through the darkness of maybe our circumstances, and that we would be drawn to your loving invitation to drink deeply of you and to have it impact the life that we're living, that it would move to real, lasting, abundant, and thriving life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, with your Bibles out, go ahead and open up to John chapter 7. That's where we're going to be starting this morning. We're going to uh, focus really on a couple words um, that Jesus declared in a public setting, and we're going to be looking at how 
uh, that invitation is offered to us and then what we can do as a response to that. And in the book of John, one of the things that you find is there is a metaphor that is frequently used to indicate the Holy Spirit, and it's the metaphor of water. Now, in Scripture, there's a number of different metaphors because metaphors help us understand kind of a concept that would be a little bit out of reach or would be multifaceted. And so a metaphor provides a singular lens that we can look at and we can make some, uh, some understand or some informed um, ideas about as a result. And so scripture uses a number of different metaphors for the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're familiar with that, oftentimes the Holy Spirit is uh, indicated uh, as oil. Uh, oil is a metaphor, the wind uh, or breath of God water is one as well. Now, in the book of John, John uses water frequently as his metaphor. And in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, John is recording an instance where there has been a, a festival of celebration, and now Jesus stands up towards the conclusion of it, and he makes a declaration. And he makes this declaration loud, public, and as far-reaching as he can in the context. And so we're going to read these two verses together, and we'll begin to walk through our series. John chapter 7, verse 37, you can read along quietly with me, but it says that on the last day and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. We're going to stop right there. We'll read the next two verses in just a moment. But I want you to paint the picture of what's going on. There's a festival that is being celebrated. Crowds have gathered. And what would typically be the fashion of kind of teaching and uh, discipling in that forum would be a teacher like Jesus, a rabbi like Jesus would sit and his disciples would be around him. And there would maybe be a crowd of onlookers and then maybe some looky-loos out further that were kind of looking or listening in. But the main context of teaching and interaction would typically be between the leader and those who were his immediate followers. And what you have is John takes a break in that type of narrative understanding and, and in that setting or environment. And he says Jesus does something different at this point, that he stands And whenever that would take place, that would be an indication that anybody who was paying attention or listening or having opportunity, that they should lean in and that they should pay attention. For for him to stand would be an indication for his followers that, hey, this is of prime importance and they would want to move in. But it would be an indication to anybody who was passerby that something was about to happen that was out of the ordinary, something that had a, a greater degree of importance to it and it would be likely that people would lean in. Then not only does Jesus stand, but it says that he declared or he, he spoke in a loud voice, that it moved from just teaching those around him or, or unpacking scripture in a general sense to, hey, this is important and everybody in earshot needs to hear this. And then he makes this declaration, if anyone is thirsty, Come to me. Now he's at a festival, right? And they're, they're finishing up this, this religious uh, festival and celebration. And he is not standing and saying, now I'm the water vendor, come to me, right? We got fair this week and there's gonna be opportunities for people to be purveyors of all of their things. Jesus is not saying, hey, come to me and, and I've got bottled water for you. 
He's making a spiritual declaration. Come to me if you are thirsty, and I will give you something to drink. And anyone who believes in me, as the scripture has said, that rivers of living water will flow out of them. So he's drawing an impassioned response to what he has to say here. And if you've been with us in, the, in our previous sermon series, A Month on Mission, this, these two verses, what he declares here, would sound a lot like what we talked about in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, as we unpacked the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman next to the well outside of her village, often referred to as Jesus and the woman at the well, I would remind you of the words that he spoke in that context there, that as he is giving uh, meaning to the exchange between them and as he is guiding her towards a spiritual response to a gospel truth that he's about to present to her, the conversation was around just kind of drawing water out of the well. She's thinking about drinking fountain type stuff and Jesus switches the conversation in verse 13. He says, everyone who drinks of this water is gonna be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so this, this statement that Jesus is making here, this idea that if you come to him, what you receive is not just life in you, but an outpouring of life from you is something that he frequently employed in his teaching and is part of the invitation that he gives. Now in John chapter four, we're left to kind of wrestle through what does it mean to drink from what Christ has to offer? What does it mean for him to refresh our thirst? And what does it mean for living water to flow out? And there's a number of different ways that you can land on ideas and applications for that. But in John chapter seven, John goes further than just recording Jesus's words. And this is important for you and I. So if you go back to those verses, Jesus says, let anyone who come to me drink, whoever believes in me, living water is gonna flow out of them or from within them. And then John goes out of his way to let us know what Jesus is talking about. So as the writer of the gospel, he, he, he lands on this idea. Maybe they don't know what Jesus is saying. I'm going to help. And there's other occasions in the earlier narratives that we saw that he did that with the woman at the well, talking about the, the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans and things like that. And so this is what he adds for us to understand. Verse 39, by this, by the words that Jesus spoke, he meant the Spirit. John goes out of his way for when you and I to think, what does it mean to drink from Jesus, to answer this invitation? What does it mean to have living water flowing out of our life? All the different ways that we could kind of land on our own spiritual ideas about what that is. John says, wait a minute, I want you to make sure that you understand Jesus is talking about the Spirit of God. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. That if you are thirsty, if you are dry, if you are parched, if you are empty, you come to Jesus and you drink deeply of the Spirit of God and then the Spirit of God wells up in you and flows out of you in the way that you live your life. And then it says, by this he met the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive, because if you remember, this is before Jesus' death and resurrection. This is before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is before some things uh, that were to come. And so John just gives us some context for that. Now, the Spirit of God had already been at work in creation. The Spirit of God is at work in the Old Testament, was at work presently in that time, and is at work now. But the way that he was going about doing those things 
changed based on those places in history. But John wants us to make sure that we understand that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The new life that we have in Christ is made present in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And it's meant to not only be present in our lives. The Holy Spirit isn't meant to just be present in your life, but he is intended to be flowing out of your life as well. The new life that you have in Christ is something that you receive and is supposed to go out and impact the way that you live and the way that you affect the world around you. But the Spirit of God takes up residence in you and is doing that type of effort. That what is deposited into your lives by the Spirit of God is to be posited into the world around us. That the life that you live, that the life that I live as a follower of Jesus should be characterized by the Holy Spirit at work in you, at work in me, and then through you and me. We should have an experience that this is true, but it should be evident to everybody who is looking at our lives. And the way that Jesus went about demonstrating the fact that the kingdom of God was present, if you remember that, the kingdom of God is near, and then he went out and he demonstrated that through the miraculous demonstration of the power of God, that there was supposed to be some type of evident work of what was unseen. Same thing for you and I. When the Spirit of God is at work in us, there is now an opportunity for that to move out of us and to be demonstrated in dramatic ways to draw people's attention to that change and to that truth. You should know it, and so should others looking around you. And the way that Paul would describe what I'm talking about here, which would be just kind of living a life that is filled with the Spirit of God at work in us and through us, Paul would call it uh, living by the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, when he gets done talking about the fruit of the Spirit, what our lives should look like as a result of the Spirit of God being at work in us, then he wraps it all up with this phrase and he says this, since we live by the Spirit or since that we have made a, been made alive because of the Spirit or since we have life because of the Spirit in us, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so this idea of living in such a way where you are drinking deeply of the Spirit of God and then it is impacting an outflow of the way that you live your life, Paul would just call it keeping in step with the Spirit. One of the things that I find really interesting is that as, as much as we have changed kind of the games that children play, if you get a group of kids together, they will often still gravitate towards follow the leader. Like, it's, it's, it's bonkers to me that with all of the screen time, you finally get them off of the screens and you put them at, back in space, they still know follow the leader, they still know how to play that. Now, that might be because we're teaching them that game because we don't know any others. It's just the one that we know and we're just going to keep it rolling. But everybody understands this kind of concept. Get in line and keep in step. And whether it's a fun game or whether it's a military cadence or anything like the parade that we'll have at the end, of the week, we, we understand this concept. And Paul would say, because you have been made alive by the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of God has affected the life within you, now live that life in such a way that you are in step with what he is doing and what he has planned and purposed for the direction of your life. And so as we look at this series, this idea of deep water, we're going to be looking at what, it, what does it look like for me to drink deeply of the Spirit of God 
And then how do, I, how do I live my life in response to that? How do I live my life in such a way that when somebody looks at me, they say, man, there is life flowing out of them. I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that because I know that person. I know their backstory. I know their context and I know their present struggles. Why is that true? And that dramatic demonstration should be something that draws people's attention. Now, to live that way, there are some things that you and I would be helpful to know. Because Jesus says, come to me, drink deeply, and live in this way. But you and I both know that you can have access to something without drinking deeply. You can perish in the desert with a dry and parched soul with the access to life in your hands. So there's some things that we need to kind of know about how, uh, how to do this or, or maybe what this looks like. I've got three questions that we're going to answer this morning. If you're a note taker, this is the part where you finally come alive. Like I'm, I'm done kind of giving you the big context. You're like, one, two, three, I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. But we're going to answer three questions this morning that will be helpful to have a, a footing or a starting point as we go into this series. And the first question is this. The first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? And we're going to look at that briefly. I'm going to frame out some big concepts in kind of some simple bite-sized thoughts, but we're not going to go deep and we're not going to exhaust it. And you're not going to have all of your questions answered this morning. And honestly, you won't ever have all of your questions answered. The second question that we're going to look at this morning is what exactly does the Holy Spirit do, right? Does he do anything? And if he does do something, what does he do? And what uh, what, what does that look like? And then the third question, and this is really the, the part that is the most applicable for you and I, how does that make a difference in my life? How does that make a difference in my life? It is entirely possible for you to know a lot about who God is, a lot about the words that Jesus has spoken, and a lot of ideas about what the Holy Spirit might or could do in your life and have it not impact your day-to-day at all. And so we need to answer that question as well. So who is the Holy Spirit? What exactly does he do and why or how does that make any difference in my life? All right, so I'm going to give you a couple Bible college words or seminary words. We're not going to land on these or spend a ton of time on them. But the first one is the word Trinity. Uh, You're probably familiar with that. Uh, Even if you don't understand the concept, you've probably at least heard the word. Uh, And there's even churches usually around us that have that in the name of their church. So at least it's something that is familiar in that sound. But the the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. And that's why I phrased the question the way that I did. I didn't say, what is the Holy Spirit, right? It's a who. Who is the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Now, if you are kind of new to this, like you're like, I'm lost. And can I tell you something? That the idea of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, that there are theologians throughout church history who have still kind of scratched their head around this stuff. It's a, it's, these are sometimes difficult concepts to get because this is what we're trying to do. We're tr- trying to describe who God is and how he works. And if we could do that with an, an exact ability, if we could get everything right and have no other questions, he would cease to be God. And guess what? You would be God because you would be the one with the total amount of knowledge describing him and not the other way around. So we do our best, but there's mystery to who God is. But this idea of the concept of the Trinity is this, that God is one. Scripture even says that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. But at the same time, there's like this plurality 
of personhood. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he sends the disciples out with the good news of the gospel, he says, go and baptize in the name of what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, pastor, I've heard that. I'm kind of tracking with you, but I don't wholly get it. All right, so I'm gonna give you some, uh, some ways that I've talked to my kids about this, and it's gonna make you feel more comfortable about not knowing all of it. All right, so if I sat down with my kids and we were in the car or we were at home and I asked them this question, is, is, is the heavenly father God, what do you think their answer would be? Yes, some of you are confident, right? Some of you are like, there's a trick in here somewhere and I just know it's coming. It could come right away, right? Is, is the heavenly father, is that God? Jesus speaks of God as our heavenly father. It was actually a really new concept in the New Testament to relate to him in that type of relationship. But God the Father is God. The answer is yes. Okay, so we're going to move on from there, and, and we're going to ask this question. If I could ask this to, to my kids. Is Jesus, as the Son of God, is he God? Okay, and the answer, the answer is yes. If you're, you're like, man, I've heard some different ideas about that, the answer is yes. Philippians chapter 2 goes into depth, really deep on that. It's kind of a deep theological statement that Paul makes there, but Jesus was fully God and fully man. That's why he can step in and substitute for our death so that we can have his life. And there's a whole bunch of, again, Bible college stuff around that. But the simple answer is, is the heavenly father God? Yes. Is Jesus God? Yes. Okay. Now here's the curveball. Is the heavenly father Jesus? You, you know, it's no, but you feel like it's kind of yes, don't you? Some of you are like, bro, I was lost like 10 minutes ago. Like I'm still trying to figure out when G- you talked about Jesus as a water vendor at a party. Like I'm still lost at the earlier side. Like there, there, there's kind of this tripping point because this is how you and I think. We think algebraically. If X equals Z and Y equals Z, X and Y are equal. Okay, now algebraically, Yes, the way that you would say mathematically that works, yes. But if I told you the letter X and the letter Y are the same letter, what would you say? Well, no, that's helpful. That's helpful because the idea of the Trinity is like that. Jesus is fully God, but he's not the Father. He's the Son. The Father is fully God, but he's not the Son. He's the Father. The Holy Spirit is fully God, but he is not either the Father or the son. I'm still confused. That's okay. That's the, part where, that's the part where faith comes in. That's the part where I do the best with my ideas about who God is and understanding him from how he has revealed himself in scripture, but I am comfortable with the ambiguity of not knowing any or everything because I trust him and who he is. So I, I, that, that's a helpful framework to think about this. God uniquely expressing himself and interacting in your life in specific and purposed ways. And the Holy Spirit does that. So we need to land on that Holy Spirit is God. So what exactly does he do? All right. And again, let me just tell you this. There is much more than I can cover in just a few brief moments. If you're somebody who's like, man, I'm really kind of interested in this. I'd like to dig a little bit deeper. I'd encourage you to take square one in our equipping classes. We cover some of this stuff. And if you go all the way to square three, we do a really deep dive on who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives. I would encourage you towards that effort. If you are somebody who just likes to learn, read John chapter 14, 15, and 16 this week and just begin to unpack the different places that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit 
in that context and you'll begin to kind of build a bigger perspective. But let me give you four things that the Holy Spirit does, and this is really important. Number one is the Holy Spirit is at work in your life for salvation. Okay, that salvation, uh, again, that's your Bible college word for this, but the Holy Spirit is at work in you to produce new life that is available to you in Christ. Bible tells us this, that it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to our need for salvation. It's the Holy Spirit that softens your heart to receive that truth. That actually, without that, without, without the Holy Spirit drawing you, without your heart being softened by the Spirit of God, then you will constantly stand in opposition to the idea that you need a Savior or that Jesus would be that. And in fact, when Paul talks about that difficulty within mankind, the, the, the world looks at salvation. The world looks at the cross and Scripture says that it sees it as foolishness. Man, that's silly. That does, not, that does not make sense. But Paul says it is the mystery of God unto salvation. And there's something that has to happen in you that the Holy Spirit begins to work for you to receive that truth. Did you know that the Holy Spirit was already working in your life before you knew about him? Before you had said yes to Jesus. And if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is already at work in your life, moving you towards that invitation. And then when you say yes, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you ask him in your heart, when you're born again, all the little languages that we've tried to kind of create for us to understand that I've moved from death in my sin to life in Christ. When that happens, scripture says that the Holy Spirit indwells you. It means that he moves in. So even our idea, like when we talk to our kids, you know, are you ready to ask Jesus into your heart? And then my, my son's like, why? Like, that doesn't make sense. And why would he even want to be there? Right? Have you ever struggled with those conversations? It's, it's actually more accurate to say, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then be filled with the Holy Spirit? But that's like, that's out of reach. Just stay simple for me. But when you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, and then he begins to move in your life. And that moves from new life to changed life, right? And how many of us know that that's a process, right? You were made alive in Christ, and then you went, and Monday happened, and you're like, I don't look really anything like the Jesus that I'm reading about. Like, what is that all about? How, how do I see my life changed? How do I become Christ-like? Because a lot of times the language, the Holy Spirit is at work in us, to do that. Your Bible college word, your seminary word is sanctification. It means that you are being made whole or holy. You're being set apart. You're putting, putting set back in right order. All of that language is something that is good, but the Holy Spirit does that. And can I tell you that if you are right now, if you are, are trying to pursue the Lord with all of your heart, okay, let me just take a sidebar just for a moment. If you right now have a hunger to be the man of God or the woman of God that you've been created to be, and you are trying in every way to somehow achieve that in yourself, but you still feel dry and broken, the process is, is something that you are trying to do, but you're not letting the Holy Spirit do. Okay, think of it this way. The Holy Spirit comes up, he takes up residence in your life, and he looks around the inside of your life, and he says, this place needs a makeover, right? This is a home improvement waiting to happen. And you very often say, yeah, I agree with that, but I'm going to do it myself, right? How many of us are do-it-ourselfers? And so then we go about trying to renovate our lives and make ourselves look Christ-like, and we can't because we do not have the skill set to do that. You don't. You cannot do that. The Holy Spirit has to do the work in you. You partner with him. It would be better, rather than you trying to put up shiplap, 
for you to just hold the hammer. And when the Holy Spirit says, it's time to put up the shiplap, you give him the hammer and let him do it. That you are just a partner in the things that God is doing in your life. Some of you guys want to go home and watch home improvement shows right now. Some of the ladies, like you're grinning, like finally he's not talking about soccer or football. Like he's talking to me today. But the Holy Spirit does that. He brings changed life. The Holy Spirit teaches. John 14, 15, and 16 will give you a little bit of this. There's, there's much more uh, understanding in the whole of Scripture. But if you uh, are having trouble understanding or discerning when you are reading the Bible, the, the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit helps us to understand and discern Scripture. If your prayer life is dry and it feels like it is not something that's powerful or robust or you don't even feel like you're communicating well with the Lord, Scripture says the Holy Spirit helps us to know how to pray. And if you're somebody who's struggling with, hey, you know what, I I really want to share my faith, but I don't know how to share. I don't know what to say. I always seem to trip up on the words. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit actually empowers us towards that effort. He gives us the words to speak and declare the truths of God in our lives. And many times we're dry. We're trying to do all of those things, what? In our own skill set, in our own effort. It will always be dry. It will always be lacking in your soul if you do this without the Holy Spirit. The last thing the Holy Spirit does, and this isn't exhaustive. These are just four good buckets for us to think about. He empowers. He fills our life with the demonstrated power of God. Fruit of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, things along those lines. And we're going to unpack some of these things more in the next uh, several weeks so that we have a deeper understanding of this. But we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is at work in all of those things. And if you're dry, it is likely that instead of the Holy Spirit being at work in those areas of your life, you're at work in those areas of your life trying to do it yourself, and you will always come up short. The Holy Spirit indwells us at salvation, and he works within us, that process of sanctification. Those are your seminary words. And then he pours out of our lives as we become agents of kingdom mission to the world around us, that what he begins to do in us, he does through us. What is deposited in us is posited to the world around us as a result of that. And we come to our last question, how how does that make any difference in my life? And I'm gonna ask you to stand because we're gonna use that question to close and respond to the Lord this morning. Worship team, if you would come back forward. And in short, here's how I'm going to answer that question. How how does this make any difference in my life? In, In many ways, that is up to you. In many ways, this is where our response becomes important. See, earlier in the things that the Holy Spirit does in us, we get tripped up because we try to do the work there rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to do that work in us. Where our response comes into play is whether or not we're going to allow him to do that, whether we're going to accept the invitation that Jesus gives us. Because this is what Jesus says to you and I. He says, if you're thirsty, don't work harder. Don't get it right this time. Don't double down on your effort. If you're thirsty, come to me. And drink. Drink of what? Drink of the Spirit of God. Come to me and receive my Spirit. And as you do that, the Spirit wells up 
and out. So whether the Spirit of God impacts the way that you live your life, whether the Spirit of God is producing fruit in your life as a result of the activity of, of His presence, whether you're living in step with the Spirit, keeping in line, moving along, moving forward in the plans and purposes that God, like all, all of that comes down to whether or not you will respond to the invitation to drink. And the good news is, is that if you're dry, if you've got just a really parched place in your soul and in your spirit, you're likely in a place where you are willing to say, all right, Jesus, I've tried everything else. I'm gonna come to you this morning. Because again, like the stories that we started with, it's, it's possible for you and I to die of thirst with water in hand. It's possible for you and I to be spiritually dry and broken with the Holy Spirit available to us because we simply choose not to respond. It's possible for you to fill your head with knowledge even as we go through this sermon series and have it not change the way that you live. It's possible for you to fill your songs with anthems of praise and have it not be something that produces life within you. It's possible for you to just have a rote schedule of devotion and an everyday interaction with God's word without ever, without ever responding to the spirit of God. The thirst of our souls is not for more information. It's not for more activity. It's not for more to do. It's not for more effort. The thirst of our souls is always for the spirit of God, for the very breath of God to fill us and be at work in our lives and to work out of our lives. Lord, we come to you this morning and many of my friends here would be readily able to identify, man, I'm dry in this area. I am empty, I'm weary, I'm broken in this area. Lord, that there's areas of specific need today and we would bring those to you. Holy Spirit, draw those to our attention, bring those to our mind's eye, that we would offer those to you and that we would uh, accept the invitation to meet you in that place and to allow you to work. Some of my friends here, Lord, would just know that their whole life feels that way. They couldn't identify a specific thing or issue or place because it all seems to be barren and cracked and dry. And Lord, we cannot provide for our own thirst. Jesus, we hear you stand today. We hear you declare aloud, boldly, that if we're thirsty, we can come to you. And Jesus, we choose to do that. We come to you. Show us how to drink deeply of your spirit and how to have that welling life flow out of us. Help us this week to keep in step and to live out the life that is already yours in Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we begin to kind of learn how to do this and take steps towards that this week, I've got some action steps for you. You can snap a picture of this on your smartphone or tablet. You can catch these later on online or on Facebook. But number one, it's just as you're going through your week, invite the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life. Acknowledge that he is a who, not a what, and invite him to be doing that work. Number two, as he begins to prompt you towards action, say yes. Have a yes ready on your lips to respond to the things of God. And then number three, consider how to keep in step as he leads.